Hey there. This week, we are talking about Kimye. Yep, Kim Kardashian and Kanye West. Yes, they are getting divorced. There's some interesting things in the divorce filings. And there are these two class action lawsuits pending against Kanye West. Or are there? I've seen quite a lot of reporting on them that these are $30 million lawsuits, that's not exactly what the documents say. I can't wait to break it all down for you. So you know what time it is? It's time to just get into it. Hey there, welcome to The Emily Show. I'm your host, Emily D. Baker, badass lawyer and everyone's favorite legal commentator, breaking down the legal shit in the news and pop culture stories you want to talk about. I've been a licensed attorney for over 15 years. I'm a former prosecutor and I'm a big fan of the cursey words. So let's break it down. Nothing in life is promised except death. Know your worth. Kanye West. And I want to share with you two reviews of The Emily Show from iTunes. I appreciate your reviews so much. I read everything. I don't always get to comment back on it, but I read your reviews and your comments. I read your texts through the text crew. If you're not in the text crew yet, by the way, textemily.com. Just go to your mobile, textemily.com join the text crew. It's a lot of fun, I promise. (laughs) But these two reviews were really special and I wanted to go ahead and share them. From Mytel in the United States through Apple Podcast, she said, she's absolutely amazing. Why, thank you. I've started listening to Emily about two months ago and don't miss a day now. She really breaks the law down for everyone to understand on every lawsuit that's discussed. Keep up the great work, Emily. Thank you. I am doing my best. (laughs) We are trying to keep it up. This is what I love to talk about. So thank you. From Prowling Leopard in Great Britain, everything I needed in a podcast this lockdown. Emily feels like she could be anyone's best friend. Thank you. Tough love. She doesn't hold back on the truth, but is kind and considerate with her delivery. I love her long format, her rants, tangents, and anecdotes, and all while learning about the law and law processes. Emily covers pop culture and gritty reality alike. She is interesting because she is interested in seemingly anything truly worth a listen. Thank you so much. I am interested in quite a lot of things. (laughs) I really do talk about stuff on this show and on social and on the YouTubes about things that I'm interested in and things that I think we can learn something from, things that I think you might be interested in. I don't just talk about stuff because there's stuff to talk about. There is so much to pick from. I really try to pick things that A, we want to talk about because we want to talk about it, but also where we can learn something, not just to talk about it. So that's always my goal in breaking down the cases that I choose to break down. And the members on the YouTube channel also help choose what topics we cover. I definitely get a lot of input and feedback, and I always try to incorporate that. So thank you to everyone who's been leaving reviews and comments. It really does mean the world. And for Some of you listening on the audio only, you don't get to see everything, but on the podcast, we've been adding those visually up into the um, video version of the Emily show every week. And it's been just a ton of fun. So let's get into, well, let's get into the Kardashian Wests, right? This is Kim Kardashian's, what, third divorce (laughs) that she's going on. And I really, look, at the end of the day, 
This is the parents of four children getting divorced. That is going to be difficult on any family. But this is also two very large businesses disentangling from one another, or is it? Because there's some interesting stuff in this divorce filing. And at the end of the day, I'm going to try to be gracious to them as people. Kim has been married a, a lot. She's been through this. There have been multiple marriages. But also, Kim and Kanye are parents. They're two people ending a relationship. We don't know what their relationship is like. We don't know what's causing this relationship to end. I will say that I have listened to quite a bit more Kanye interviews and what have you in the last few months since the contracts all leaked on Twitter. He made some pretty strong statements about Kris Jenner, uh, Kim Kardashian's mother. He talked in his Joe Rogan interview, which is a three-hour interview. He talked very much about what he sees for the future and the kind of life that he wants. And at that time, it seemed pretty divergent from the life we see Kim portraying that she wants on social media and in her show, Keeping Up with the Kardashians. Of course, these are the things that people choose to put out publicly and choose to put out in a public-facing way. But it's interesting to me how different those visions seem to be. Kanye was talking very much about running a self-sustaining school and rethinking the way we run our cities and why do people commute so much. And Kim is seemingly very focused on finishing up her legal education and continuing to push for prison reform, where Kanye seems to want to reform the entire world at once. We will see. But the divorce petition had some interesting information in it that I didn't necessarily expect to see. And I was pleasantly surprised, I guess, because it went along with my initial take of how I thought this case was going to play out just based on A, what we've seen in the media and based on my own gut instinct. Like I don't think, and of course I can be wrong, (laughs) but I don't think we are going to see a horribly messy divorce from Kim and Kanye. What I think we're going to see is behind the scenes, they are going to come to an agreement about how everything's going to be divided up. That's going to be provided to the court and everyone's going to go their separate ways. That's how I think this is going to go down. So let's pull this up for the video crew. What's interesting to me is in this petition for divorce filed February 19th, 2021, it makes it clear that they are currently married, that the date of their marriage was May 24th, 2014, but that their date of separation had not yet been determined. So they are still putting that in this petition as TBD, to be determined. So either there's some a disagreement about the date of separation, or they're still trying to figure out when the date of separation exactly happened. If they've been living apart for some time, that's something that's possible. So it's interesting to me that the date of separation has not yet been specified in this filing. They cite the reason for divorce as irreconcilable differences. Note in California, that's one of very few options. You can cite divorce for irreconcilable differences or permanent legal incapacity to make decisions, which doesn't seem to be the case here. You can nullify a marriage based on bigamy or incest in California, or you can void a marriage based on age, based on the fact that somebody was already married, based on unsound mind, fraud, force, physical incapacity, those sorts of things. Obviously, none of those are at play here, but 
I wanted to cover the options in case none of you have ever looked at a divorce petition in California before. They also indicated that they were asking for joint custody for physical and legal custody between both parties, that they want to terminate the court's ability to award spousal support for either party. So it's not just Kim filing saying Kanye shouldn't be able to get spousal support, but it's that Kanye shouldn't be able to pay spousal support. It's very much, we're not looking for support for anybody in this. They also said that they are confirming as separate property the assets and debts in the following list. And this is what's so interesting. It says, pursuant to the party's premarital agreement, all assets and obligations of each party are his or her separate property. So it is very much that they seemingly with their premarital agreement did not commingle businesses properties, funds. And we've seen some reports of this in the media saying that Kanye owns the house that is on Keeping Up with the Kardashians, the one in Calabasas area, but that Kim owns the land and different things like this, that they kept their property separate. I'm sure there are some things that they are going to have to um, decide what goes to where and what goes to who, but this makes very clear that there is a premarital agreement that all assets and obligations are each separate. So when there is speculation online about things like Kanye's um, two pending lawsuits, and there are other lawsuits pending, but the two pending lawsuits regarding his Sunday service, which we'll get into in a little bit, that those two lawsuits somehow prompted him to get this separation leaked to page six or something. I, I don't think that it's necessarily valid because A, there's this premarital agreement that's being alluded to here. Of course, we don't know what it says, but it indicates that that agreement says each of the assets and obligations, meaning any debts, any lawsuits, things like that, belong to each party. That's not unusual when people come into a marriage with substantial assets. So that doesn't surprise me, but also the Kanye legal cases with regard to Sunday service were both filed over the summer. So one in June and one in, or one in July and one in August. So it's not as if those were pending and they got filed after this information leaked to page six. The divorce petition also says that they want the court to determine rights to community and quasi-community assets and debts as follows, pursuant to the party's Premarital agreement, all assets and obligations of each party are his or her separate property. There are no community assets. So it's asking the court to say, look, everything that's in the premarital agreement, this is how it's going to break down, which again supports my prior belief that this will end up being the premarital agreement and then a list of debts and obligations being submitted to the court saying, this is what we've agreed upon. Um, Just sign the divorce, essentially, that the court doesn't really need to be heavily involved the other requests were that attorney's fees be payable by each. So Kim would pay for hers, Kanye would pay for his, and that's really it. The divorce petitions aren't substantial. They don't carry a substantial amount of information, but they do confirm that there is a premarital agreement that keeps all debts, assets, liabilities separate. And so everybody's going to take what they came in with and kind of take what they built during their time together. So it sounds like Kim's not going to be going after the stuff that Kanye's created on his own. Kanye shouldn't be going after anything from KKW beauty and those things will just stay separate. So 
I really do think this is going to end up being not a super dramatic divorce case. And I think that that's probably better for the kids. I think that that's probably better for all the parties involved. If it's, here's what the premarital agreement says, here's what each party has, and this is the list of assets. And whether that will become public or not, we will see. I don't know if it will. Maybe it shouldn't. Um, I'm sure there's some stuff in there that's trade secrets, but we'll see. We'll see how it goes. So in California, there is a waiting period for a divorce. This was filed February 19th, 2021 by Kim. And so we should see by the end of 2021, if there's real, really no big disputes over property, that this is resolved by the end of the year. And, and then we'll see. I imagine what we'll see is that Kim will stay living in Calabasas with the kids. Kanye will be in the home in Wyoming and whatever plane they use will fly the kids betwixt the two. And that's kind of the way it will go. I know Kanye has um, a school here that he was trying to open and we'll see if he still spends time here for that. But who knows? I mean, everything's so weird still with COVID that who knows? We haven't seen much of either of these two in public, but there's really nothing in public to see anybody at anyway, because everyone's still pretty locked down into their homes. So we'll see. What was really interesting to me in this is the conversation around whether these class action lawsuits facing Kanye had anything to do with the divorce or had anything to do with the timing of the divorce. I really found that tremendously interesting. The news reports that I have seen say things like Kanye West faces class action lawsuits for 30 million in damages. Look, the way the news reports damages and the way damages are pled for in these lawsuits are two totally different things. None of these lawsuits say, give me $30 million. All of them are asked, all, both of them are asking for things like, you know, we need these punitive damages, statutory damages, this, that, and the other. But none of, none of these suits say, hey, the damages here are $30 million. These are all statutory damage suits. These are all employment lawsuits and they are all, all, both, there's two. They are both relating to this opera performed at the Hollywood Bowl, the Nebuchadnezzar Opera, performed on November 24th, 2019. So let's get into what is going on with those two class action lawsuits. And a class action, again, is a lawsuit where a large class of similarly situated people, in this case, people who provided services or performed at that opera thing at the Hollywood Bowl, at that Sunday service performance at the Hollywood Bowl, that would be the class, like all the people involved in that event that choose to be a part of the class. There are two lawsuits. There's a Leon versus West. That's case number one. I call it case number one because it was filed July 10th, 2020. And then there is Pearson versus West Brands. I mean, at all, because there are other people involved, filed on August 20th, 2020. So I'm going to talk about them as number one and number two, number one being the Leon, number two being the Pearson. The first case that was filed in July files against Kanye West as an individual. It doesn't file against any of his companies. It also files against a number of other companies, which I presume to be the higher out companies. Since the Pearson case was filed, quite a lot has happened, including a notice of settlement being filed on January 
2021, a notice of settlement that essentially removed Kanye from this case. And then an amended complaint was filed on February 4th, 2021. So in in the recent past, this complaint has been updated so that West as an individual, Kanye himself is no longer a party to this lawsuit. So now it is the Leon plaintiff against companies, Art Partner Inc., Very Good Touring Inc., and that is it. And it looks like those are the companies that they are alleging did the actual hiring for this performance. And that is not uncommon that a performer will hire a company to hire all of the people and bring the people in almost like a casting agency for a live event like this. So you use different companies to bring people in and those people become employees of the companies temporarily. So they become an employee for two days. California labor law, California labor law, California labor law is uh, specific and it has changed since AB5. I have other content on AB5. It is a complex statute that deals with how people can be independent contractors when they can be independent contractors and changed the way that California measures if someone is an independent contractor or an employee. And in a circumstance like this, putting on a live performance, the background singers are going to be employees of the performance. So normally performances then hire out these companies to bring in the employees. So what is being alleged in this case is various labor law violations. The factual basis of this is that the Nebuchadnezzar, and yes, I know it's a biblical reference, but for me, it is also a reference to the Matrix. And I know in the Matrix, it was also a biblical reference, but, but, you know, it's the Nebuchadnezzar. It's it's more specific than a Kanye West opera to me, but that's because I'm a giant nerd and I fucking love The Matrix. So this lawsuit, number one, the plaintiff, Leon, is a hairdresser that worked on the production on the 23rd and 24th of November 2019. Plaintiff alleges that they were hired to be employed by the defendants in this case, those two companies that I listed. Note, Kanye West is not listed anymore. He has been removed because he was individually sued and he individually did not hire these people based on the fact that he's already been dismissed out of this case and it was just filed a hot minute ago. So the factual allegations are such that when the hairdresser and others in the class were hired for the 23rd and 24th. They were hired to be paid $250 for the prep day on the 23rd and $350 for the 24th. The other lawsuit says that those were like nine and 10 hour days for the dancers. I don't know if that was as long or the performers, singers and dancers. I don't know if that was as long for like hair and makeup staff, but it was, you know, 250 a day, 350 a day. Those are, those seem low to me, but maybe that's average. I don't know. But that for a full day's work, it seems low to me. Either way, they're saying that defendants failed to properly compensate this particular plaintiff and others in the class that they were not paid until March 24th, 2020. Now, look, you 
there are rules about when you have to pay someone. And the thing is, these were temporary employees that would have been terminated on the 24th, meaning you have a very short period of time to pay people after the work ends. Very short. And those rules are finite and specific. And the state of California does not play. If you do not follow the rules, you lose. Like there is a time frame. If somebody's not paid in the time frame, you're done. That's it. There is no, there's no wiggle room on that. So on that, this is hugely problematic for the companies that were supposed to be issuing pay. And then they're alleging that plaintiff was also charged a $20 wire fee to receive the paychecks. Now, also, you can't do that. Like you can't charge someone to be paid. You can't. No, that can't happen. That is not okay. That is not legal. That is not legal in California because then it reduces the pay that you're owed. So this, they're alleging, resulted in plaintiff only receiving $530 instead of the $550 that they were entitled to because they were charged. They are alleging that being paid 120 days late is a violation of the California Labor Code, that being charged to receive their wages is a violation of the Labor Code if those things are, if these allegations are true in the way that they are alleged, then yes, I agree. You you just, you can't do that at all. Then they're alleging violations of overtime, not being paid overtime, not being given adequate rest breaks, and then recording, not being given records. You have to give people their payroll records, even if they only work for you for two days. This is alleging that that did not happen. The thing with California labor law is that once you step up, like if these are not factually heavy scenarios, either you gave them the paperwork or you didn't give them the paperwork. Either you paid them within the time period you were supposed to, or you didn't. These aren't great factual disparities. There's going to be paperwork tracking all of this to show whether it was done properly or not done properly. This isn't hard to parse. The thing is, if it's done wrong, it's just wrong. There's no like, it could be, it couldn't be. Nope. These are just facts. You paid it on time or you didn't. You gave them the payroll information you were supposed to give them or you didn't. So it's interesting to me that this got to a suit. I don't know if these employees reached out as a class to the company and was like, Yo, yo, fix it. I mean, clearly it took them, according to this, 120 days to get paid. That should have already been, there should have been a lawyer letter like, yo, you should have paid me. But also, I have a tremendous amount of empathy that at getting paid $550 for two days work, having to get a lawyer to chase that down over 120 days later sucks. It sucks. Like with what money? You haven't even paid me for my job. And this was right before everybody went into lockdown, which means all of the singers, dancers, hairdressers, makeup people all got locked down out of their businesses. So it just kind of sucks all the way around to make people wait to be paid like this again, based on these allegations. It's shitty. Also, the California Labor Code doesn't fuck around. So if these allegations are true, I imagine this case will probably resolve once you get through the initial, like, did you plead it right? Are we the people that actually hired the people? If so, did we hire out? Like if a company hired another company. So if company A 
said, oh, Kanye West wants us to provide hairdressers. And then company A hires company B and says, hey, company B, we need hairdressers for these two days for this kind of a thing. And company A gets sued now for not paying it properly. There can be a circumstance where company A now has to bring in company B because company A should be indemnified saying, no, no, we hired this to company B. They either need to be joined or we need to cross complain them or counter well, it's not really a countersuit because they're not already in the suit, but join them in as a necessary party because it's like, no, 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 no. It's not just us. It's also this other company that we hired and we can't resolve this without them too. So joining the necessary party in that. But we will see what happens when these companies answer. No answers have been issued yet, but the dismissal had been answered uh, or the dismissal had been requested, which is very interesting. So there's already been some movement on this, but we'll learn a bit more about what's happening in the related case because there's already been a status conference and we have the joint status report that we can look through real quick. So the allegations moving on from the proper documentation, which again, if you hire people, you have to give them their paperwork so they can see if taxes were taken out, if they weren't taken out, how much they were paid, how many hours, you have to give them the things. You can't just not give them the things. The causes of action in this case are continuing wages, which is the um, failure to pay on time. So they're saying because they were not compensated from November 24th to March 24th, they are entitled to continuing wages for 30 days at the same rate. So that being about $22,000 in the continuing wages. Hey, you didn't pay. We're all entitled to 30 days. And that's where you start. If you start tallying up the numbers going, okay, well, if they're alleging there's a thousand people in the class and a thousand people are all entitled to about $20,000 to start, then you start seeing some of those numbers where the media is like, this is a $30 million lawsuit. It's like, okay, right. But they're not actually asking for 30 million. They're saying though, in the first cause of action with the continuing wages that because wages weren't paid, each member of the class is owed not less than like $22,000. The second cause of action is failure to provide information on pay stubs. Like, look, these are basic California employment rules. When you hire people, you have to do it properly. If you don't do it properly, it can bite you in the ass very quickly. It's shocking to me that whatever companies were brought on might not know this, but again, these are allegations and we haven't seen their side of going, oh no, yeah, we did give them proper pay stubs and they're just saying that we didn't. So we'll see. The third cause of action is damages for unpaid minimum wage and overtime compensation. So that gets into A, the not being paid when they were supposed to be paid and B, the overtime compensation because they're alleging though they didn't say it in any of these fact scenarios, how many hours they worked. I'm pulling that information from the other lawsuit, but this lawsuit also has to plead it because it's not specifically pled that overtime um, wasn't worked, which will be interesting if there's a motion to dismiss saying, um, right, but you never said anybody worked overtime. Next cause of action is unfair business practices on behalf of plaintiff and all class defendant. Defendants' violations of the California wage and hour laws constitute business practices, and then they get into the fact that that can unduly benefit the companies because they were not upholding the labor laws, and therefore 
it's an unfair business practice. That's essentially the argument there. The fifth cause of action is failure to provide employment records upon request. Like, hey, I requested it. You didn't give it to me. You have to do that. You have to do that. They're saying that that is a $750 penalty for each violation. So this is where some of these statutory rules come in. The labor code says, if you do this, you have you owe this much. And so it's pretty easy to say, okay, buy a thousand people. Okay, roughly buy a thousand people. How many people are we dealing with? Sixth cause of action, failure to provide employment records upon request under a different code on behalf of plaintiff only. So that means not the class action plaintiffs, but just this particular plaintiff who's suing, the named plaintiff. Seventh cause of action, California Labor Code, Private Attorney General's Act. And this gets into plaintiff realleges all of the things above that we've already talked about. And then pursuant to 2699.3A1 of the labor code on approximately April 15th, 2020 plaintiff gave written notice by certified mail to the California labor and workforce development agency of the specific provisions of the labor code alleged to have been violated by defendants, including the theories set forth in the complaint attached. Also on that day, plaintiff gave written notice by certified mail to defendants, After the appropriate passage of time, plaintiff may, as a matter of right, amend the existing complaint to add a cause of action arising under the Labor Code Private Attorney General Act. The Labor Code Private Attorney General Act establishes civil penalties for violation of the Labor Code, including the violations in this complaint. And it goes through the different violations and the statutory monetary amount attached to them. So these are getting into very specific violations of the labor code. But again, this is why when we talk about law, I say labor law is very specific. The labor code is pretty dense and it has lots of very specific rules. And if you mess them up, you're just, you owe, you pay the man. If you mess it up, you have to pay. It's because it's so factually based. Did you pay by the time? Did you not? Did you provide the information? Did you not? These types of labor code violations are very hard to defend against unless the fact scenario alleged in the complaint is wildly different than than what the paperwork shows. And most of the time, from my experience, that is not the case, but we will see what happens. Again, these are allegations and the defendants in this case haven't shown their side yet. Then they plead the plead The plea at the end is for a million dollars along with reimbursement of cost and reasonable attorney's fees, an additional amount of $125,000 to class members, an additional amount of at least uh, $1,000 for each class member, and on and on for each particular cause of action. And then at the end, asking for cost of the suit, prejudgment interest, statutory attorney's fees, and things like that. So this is asking for essentially all of the amounts that they can get. It's like, hey, all the different causes of action we alleged say that we can get these different statutory amounts. We would like you to go ahead and give us those statutory amounts. But again, this is no longer a case against Kanye West. It was originally pled against him as an individual, and then he was pled out of the case. So the January 26th 
filing indicates a settlement was reached and says plaintiff has reached an individual settlement with defendants Kanye West and Art Partner Inc. and intends to dismiss his allegations without prejudice against these entities. Plaintiff filed a notice of settlement with the court on January 21st, 2021. As noted previously, plaintiff also intends to dismiss defendants Live Nation and Hewitt without prejudice. As such, the settlement and court-approved dismissal of class actions would fully and finally resolve this matter. Plaintiff Art Partner and Kanye West are in the process of completing long-form settlement agreement. Upon execution of the settlement agreement, plaintiff will file a request that the court dismiss his class actions allegations without prejudice and his individual claims with prejudice, meaning those cannot be refiled. So the individual claims, this individual versus Kanye West, this individual versus Art Partner. To California Rule of Court 3.770, the parties request that any review of the forthcoming confidential settlement agreement be limited solely to in-camera proceedings, meaning, meaning for your eyes only, judge, this is a confidential settlement agreement. We would like the public to not peeksies at all of it. And also, we don't need all of the other potential class members knowing what was settled for. We don't need people in the other um, lawsuit named knowing what this settled for. It's just saying that this has resolved. And there is a footnote, of course, saying defendants Kanye West and our partner do not admit that they are properly named party to this action, meaning we don't agree that we should even be here, but we've reached some kind of a private settlement agreement, which might very well be something as simple as um, we shouldn't even be named. We're not going to go after you if you drop this against us now, that it could very well be something as simple as that. As this settlement and court-approved dismissal of class actions will fully and finally resolve this matter, it will eliminate the need to address. And then it goes into the different things that would be addressed at a joint status conference. So this case is going to be dismissed in its entirety. The class action allegations can be brought again at some future time, but the individual um, actions won't be, and Kanye West is no longer in this at all. So that kind of resolves number one. There is a date on calendar for March 30th that should be the date that the whole thing just gets dismissed unless something happens, but that's a that's what it is. It looks like that case will be done. And it's indicated in the related case, case number two, that we're going to get to that case number one is being settled. And so there's no overlap because in a class action, what you're not going to want to have is three class actions going on with the same set of facts. You would just lump those all into one class action to streamline them. And so the other case in their joint status conference report talks about not needing to examine the overlapping cases because case number one, case number one is going to be getting dismissed. So in case number two, Pearson versus West Brands LLC, which I am presuming is the Kanye company, AJR Films Inc., a California corporation, Savin Entertainment Corporation, Mill Ticket Entertainment, and Doe's 1 through 50. So these are all of the alleged entities that were involved in hiring, and this complaint is a class action complaint for failure to pay earned wages, failure to provide meal breaks, failure to provide rest with breaks, failure to pay overtime wages, waiting time penalties, which is, again, the 
time it takes to pay, failure to provide itemized wage statements, and unlawful and unfair business practices. Very similar to the other complaint. This one was filed August 20th, 2020. And getting into this, the allegations are very much the same. Plaintiff is an individual residing in the state of California who worked as a non-exempt employee for that two-day period covering the Nezer Kenever opera. The allegations here state that on or about November 2019, defendants hired plaintiffs and hundreds of other onstage performers to train, rehearse, and perform in the live opera by Kanye West entitled Nebuchadnezzar, which took place on November 24th, 2019 at the Hollywood Bowl. So the other one was a hairdresser, and it seemed that that class anticipated hairdressers, makeup, costuming, clothing, and this was the onstage performers. Though I think because they were all employees, if they all were there relatively the same periods of time, it seems that all of those class plaintiffs could be together from my perspective, which may be why the other one is being dismissed to just pull all of the class plaintiffs into this one because they are similarly situated from my initial look at this. They say that the plaintiff and other performers were cast by Savan Savin, S-A-Y-V-E-N, Savin, Entertainment and Mill Ticket Entertainment at the direction and control of West Brands and AJR Films, the producer of the opera. Pursuant to the written contract with plaintiff, defendants agreed to play a flat rate of 250 per day, regardless of the number of hours worked by plaintiff. By the way, when you're an employee, um, you can't always... You, you, Non-exempt employees are very specific and you just can't, you just can't do that. You just can't be like, I'm going to pay you $250 for 20 hours of work. Okay. Okay. Plaintiff was employed by defendants for two days on November 23rd and November 24th. And again, these are not independent contractors. These are W-2 employees for this two-day period. Through their entire employment, plaintiff and other performers were under the direction and control of the defendants with respect to their offstage activities and their onstage performance on November 23rd, immediately after checking in with defendants, plaintiffs and other performers were advised to wait at a designated location inside the Hollywood Bowl for further instructions. Defendants failed to provide enough seats for plaintiff and all performers to sit. As a result, I mean, it's the Hollywood Bowl. Where, why couldn't they just sit on the, the there's benches there. I don't know. Where did they have, were they backstage? Anyway, as a result, plaintiff and other performers were forced to sit or stand on the ground throughout the first day. Defendants dismissed plaintiff and other performers after over nine hours of work on the 23rd with no meal or rest break. So that's where we'll start to get into the factual stuff. In the other one, it's like you didn't pay within the time period. You didn't provide pay stubs, things like that. This will be a little more fact specific with were there meal breaks? Were there rest breaks? What did the days look like? And and there could be some more factual discrepancies there. But if there were not designated meal breaks, you cannot have people work for nine hours with no meal breaks. On November 24th, 2019, defendants instructed plaintiff and other performers to meet at the parking center off Hollywood and Highland at 8.30 a.m., where defendants would provide a shuttle service to the Hollywood Bowl. So Hollywood and Highland from the Hollywood Bowl is a little ways away. As with the previous day, performers spent a significant part of the day waiting with the other performers for further instruction, this time in outdoor tents. Also, as with the previous day, plaintiff and other performers were forced to stand or sit on the ground because defendants failed to provide enough seats for everyone. 
outside the tents. Plaintiff and the other performers received instructions from the choreographer, received wardrobe fittings, rehearsed for the show, and performed on stage. At the conclusion of the Sunday service performance, plaintiff and other performers were required to wait in line and return their wardrobe. Defendants failed to provide a shuttle service back to the parking lot, forcing plaintiffs and other performers to walk back to their car. That's not super close. Plaintiffs worked for over 10 hours on the second day with no meal or rest break. I'd be, I'd be pissed. I'd be particularly pissed about being forced to walk back to my car after a 10 hour day after I had been shuttled in from Hollywood and Highland. Like that's, look again, these are allegations, but that's just a dick move. Like if you shuttle people in, you have to shuttle them back to their cars at the end. What? 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 It, again, defendants haven't responded. They could have said, yes, there was a shuttle and this plaintiff just wasn't aware. But if there really were no shuttles, no, not okay. In or about December 2019, plaintiff received a check in the amount of $500 without any itemization describing how the payment was allocated. So not as long of a break as the hairstylist in the other complaint. It wasn't until March. It does seem this performer was paid more swiftly, but still I want to know when in December, because from November 24th to December 1st isn't as problematic as till the end of December. So I would like to know what date that is, because that's going to matter. As a result of defendants' willful misclassification of the class members as independent contractors, ah, whoop, there it is. Plaintiff was denied his fundamental employment rights as mandated by California law. So that's where the argument's going to be. And this is going to come down under AB5. If they were hired, because they allege that they were hired as non-exempt employees, but now we get to the, oh no, oh no, no. They were willfully misclassified as independent contractors. Well, singers in a musical performance under AB5 are going to be employees. And that was a change that came about. (laughs) But what's so interesting is AB5 didn't go into effect until January 2020. But before AB5 went into law, California had already re classified the way that independent contractors would be evaluated because the California Supreme Court said that the 20-part kind of IRS test wasn't the test they were using anymore and that they were using this new ABC test. And that happened substantially before AB5 went into effect in 2020. So this happening right before that law shift might have some factual fights in this lawsuit over categorization of independent contractors versus employees. So that that paragraph of this lawsuit kind of indicates to me how we're setting up this fight over were they employees, were they contractors? And that is where the heart of kind of the legal and factual wrangling will come if this does not resolve before we get to that part, before we get to all of the legal wrangling as to the proper categorization of these individuals as either contractors or employees. Plaintiff, they say, was denied their fundamental employment rights as mandated by California law, including but not limited to overtime wages, prompt payment of full wages upon termination of employment, the right 
to lawful meal and rest breaks and the right to accurate itemized wage statements. Now, if you're an independent contractor, generally you give them the contract, you negotiate your rate, and then you get paid for your contract and it's not broken down or itemized because you're a contractor. This is very much more like an employment situation because it seems that these individuals didn't have the ability to negotiate their work conditions, their work location. You know, they were provided costumes. It's going to be very interesting how this breaks down. My uh, my initial gut response is that this is going to be very hard to categorize these individuals as independent contractors. They break the class down into subclasses for people who were not paid their wages, people who were required to work overtime, people who didn't get rest breaks, people who didn't get meal, meal period breaks. And seeing these different subclasses kind of indicates to me that there may be some people within parts of these classes and not within others, because some might have gotten breaks, some might not have. And that's just based on the way that these subclasses are broken down. I've already read out the causes of action in this case when we got to the beginning, but the failure to pay earned wages is action cause of action one. Two is the failure to provide meal periods. Three is the failure to authorize and permit rest periods. Four is the failure to pay overtime wages. Five is the waiting time penalties. Six is the failure to furnish accurate itemized wage statements. Seven is unfair and unlawful business practices. And then the prayer for relief in this is compensatory damages, meaning compensating everyone for the damages done restitution and disgorgement of profits according to proof from the unfair and unlawful business practices, meaning you profited more because you didn't pay us the way you were supposed to, the meal and rest period compensation, liquidated damages, preliminary and permanent injunctive relief, enjoining defendants from violating the relevant provisions of the California Labor Code in the future for waiting time penalties pursuant to California labor law for interest on unpaid wages of 10% per year, for reasonable attorney's fees and costs, for declaratory relief, and an order certifying the action as a class action. And that is the second lawsuit. This is the one that still has the companies in it. Kanye West's company is still involved in this. And then we got quite a lot of information from the joint status conference statement that was filed with the court January 22nd, because in that it has some of the breakdowns of the potential issues back and forth. Like these are the things we're going to need the court to look at. This is what we want to see. So plaintiff is saying that no defendant has filed an answer to the complaint yet. Defendant West Brand has appeared in the case. The others have not yet appeared in the case. From defendant West Brand's position, defendant West Brand has filed notice of appearance, has not filed responsive pleading, as explained in the party's positions on the case management below. The parties request a stay in this matter for 60 days, with the limited exception that it be lifted for the sole purpose of allowing plaintiff to file a First Amendment complaint. At that time, West Brands will assess its position on a responsive pleading, meaning we need 60 days, there's going to be a First Amendment complaint, and then we'll decide from the defense position, then we'll decide if we need to respond and how we're going to respond. If we're going to respond with a motion to dismiss, if we're going to respond with a answer, things like that. Potential additional parties. Plaintiff does not presently intend to join additional parties. At this time, West Brands does not plan to file a cross complaint or add additional parties, but investigations ongoing. West is arguing that they were, um, potentially improperly named, that the parties continued to meet and confer on the issue about whether West Brands should be properly named. 
the defense position is, hey, we didn't hire anybody, so this isn't us. The plaintiff's position is that plaintiff intends to dismiss defendant's mill ticket entertainment and save-in entertainment. Plaintiff maintains that the other defendants are properly named. So there's already some disagreement of how the hiring went down and who was responsible for it. The estimated class size is still being uh, negotiated or determined, and it's stated by the plaintiffs that the class size is in excess of 500 members. So in this one, we have at least 500 members in this class action. They discussed whether there are other actions with overlapping class definitions, and because the other case is being dismissed, they're saying, yes, nothing's going to overlap because the other one is being dismissed. And it seems that both sides agree on that. Potential early crucial motions is discussed. Plaintiff anticipates filing a motion for class certification and potentially summary judgment. Plaintiff West Brands is again asking for a 60-day stay so they can then determine if they are properly pled. And then the class information reiterates mostly the same thing, saying that Plaintiff proposes that third-party claims administrators send out a um, Bel Air West notice to the class. So they're saying, look, we need to notify potential members of the class so they can join the class action. And that's what they're asking for. Defense is again saying, look, can we give it 60 days and see if we're properly pled into this thing and then start to decide whether this is necessary and whether we can avoid some of the time and expense of sending out a notice to everybody. And then they talk about discovery, when discovery will start. But again, it's looking like they want that 60 days to to really get started and then certify the class and then start seeking other members of the class. You've probably received these types of notices with regard to things like, you know, buying books on Amazon or some kind of a thing with an iPhone or or something in your life where you've gotten an email like you might be a part of this class, fill out this questionnaire. That's the same type of notice that they're talking about and those all go through and are handled by someone else. Timeline for case management in this case, the parties propose scheduling the next status conference approximately 60 days from the initial status conference to allow plaintiff to amend the complaint. The parties propose lifting the current stay for the sole purpose of permitting plaintiff to file a first amending complaint, but otherwise leaving the stay in place. Plaintiff expects amendments to the complaint to include the addition of a private attorney general act claim. That's the claim that we saw in the first lawsuit saying, hey, we can bring this now because we've given proper notification, and to add certain allegations pursuant to discussions with counsels for defendant West Brands, which remain ongoing, in the hopes of avoiding the filing and or narrowing the scope of a demur and or motion to strike. So it's, hey, these are things we think are deficient. Hey, let's see what we can do in a First Amendment complaint. This is a joint statement from the parties, which means the attorneys behind the scenes are talking to each other going, instead of doing like a motion to dismiss or demur for, you know, not pleading things properly. Let's talk about it, amend the pleadings and go from there. And then they agreed to electronic service. And that was their first big case status conference. So what we're seeing behind the scenes on these cases is that things are kind of humming along. One of them's getting dismissed. I think the other members of the class, some of them will be joint 
because they're similarly situated to these class members. And we will see how this class action proceeds and if there will be another one with regards to other Sunday service performances, because this is just for that Hollywood Bowl performance. But what I'm seeing in the media is that there are other considerations from other Sunday service performances that this is not unique to just this one. And I think if everyone's been hired as independent contractors for all of the Sunday services in California, there are going to be some issues with these types of lawsuits because you you can't just call everybody an independent contractor. You can't, you can't, particularly if they're performing the same thing that you do, then they're not, they're employees. And the rules are, the rules of hair care are, are finite. The rules of employment law in California are very specific. And it's one of the things that can make running your own business feel so overwhelming is because there is a lot to keep track of. But this is something I talk to business owners about literally all of the time, it feels like, because the rules do continue to tighten on what is a contractor versus what is an employee. And they are things that really well need to be understood. So this is my plug for if you are in business, have an attorney that you can talk to. There are lots of great attorneys and lots of great information out there to help guide you through this, but do it right. Sometimes it feels very stressful to do it right, but it is the most important thing. I'm also going to plug one more thing. We're going to plug one more thing. Did you know? Did you know that we have merch? I have merch. There's Law Nerd merch. If you haven't checked out the lawnerdshop.com yet, we have new things coming in March. Can you believe it's March? It's fucking March. How is it March? I don't know. I don't know how it's March. It's shocking to me but there is a new merch coming in March. So if you haven't checked it out yet, make sure that you do and stay tuned to all the socials, <laughs> the Twitters, the Instagrams, stay tuned because that is where you will see when that new merch drops, but it's coming. I'm very excited. So lawnerdshop.com is where you get all your laundered needs met. And thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I can't believe it's March. We're almost at a year. And I tagged the date of the pandemic from like when Los Angeles locked down. So for me, it, it's, it's like we're coming up on the one year anniversary of the first California lockdown. I don't know what to do. How do we celebrate that? I would love your suggestions. D tell me on social, what are your suggestions? How do we deal with this? I feel like we need to acknowledge it, but I don't really feel like it's a celebration. I don't, time has been very weird the last year and feels very weird. So I don't know how to address it at all. I just don't. So here's how we're going to address it today. We're going to grab a glass and raise it. And we're still in a pandemic. So raise a glass. May your Wi-Fi be strong. May your toilet paper be plentiful. May your family be well. And may the odds be ever in your favor. Thank you for being with me again. Another week, friend. Take care.